0: Hello, welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I'm your host, Jason Napolitano, and on the line we have Mr. Chris Sheridan. What's going on, Chris? How are you tonight?
1: Fireworks for some reason are going on. I don't know <laughs> what occasion that might be, but huh. who knows? This is Los Angeles, and uh, and anything you, can you be... just don't need an excuse for anything. I don't think anymore.
0: I guess not. Yeah.
1: You know, well, <laughs> That's maybe... enough. Let's, have a... LA, <laughs> let's, dude. let's uh, do this. Yeah.
0: Let's have a celebration since the fire's just died out. Let's light off some fireworks. How yeah, there you that? go. How yeah, after that? weeks of, yeah. No, I should <laughs> have PTSD
1: weeks. after weeks of a Bobcat to... fire. All
0: yeah, right. No, don't set
1: up fireworks. you kidding me? No, they're putting up All fireworks right. for you.
0: That's going to that's gonna set you
1: off. There's nothing left know? to burn, though. All oh, right, go. At least not around here. <laughs> that's,
0: that's the upside to the whole thing. All right, perfect. Uh, yeah. Well,
1: so...
0: there you go. Well, thank you for... Uh, for being here each week. Appreciate you. And uh, we got a great show this week. So uh, thank you also to our, our listeners who are supporting us. We appreciate you guys. Um, if you would like to support the cosmic eye show, you can do so at anchor. FM slash cosmic eyes. So, uh, thank you again for showing up to our Sunday show that we do each week. Uh, this is our little longer show. Oftentimes we uh, discuss Manly Hall, as you know, if you've listened to the show before. And so this week we have a real treat. Uh, we're going to be looking at Manley Hall's first principles of philosophy. Uh, so this is a book uh, that's set up very much like a series of lessons because it was actually a series of lessons. Uh, so it's a very nice, concise overview of, of these different areas of philosophy, which we will talk about in a moment. Um, I think you're going to greatly enjoy this one now. It is a very good systematic introduction to philosophy. And, um, you know, Manly Hall really was all about sharing philosophy. And I think sometimes, you know, we're going to get into this again after, uh, after we start talking more about it, Uh, Manly Hall was a great advocate of becoming a philosopher. And using philosophy to, to sort of transcend our normal human condition. And, and so it has a, quite a different connotation than I think of what most people think of as philosophy today. So we'll go into uh, more details about that in a moment. Uh, again, thank you for joining us. So if you want to get more information about us, you can check us out at Cosmiceye.org. I am the author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, and that is on Amazon. Chris is the author of The Spirit in the Sky, also on Amazon. So either of those books are great. Mine's, uh, of course, Introduction to Meditation. Chris's is a uh, uh, story uh, about his life and about his uh, plane crash and spiritual experience before plane crash and uh, other interesting details and so on. So I highly recommend both of our books. If you are interested and would like to support us, please check those out. All right, Chris, let us jump all into right. this. There's our, 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 all our little pitches are out of the way. We're, uh, we're moving on to the to the meat of the sandwich. As it were. Now we're
1: pitching philosophy. Now we're
0: pitching power we're pitching. step philosophy. right up. You, hey, you want, right up. You want yeah. some
1: philosophy here.
0: How would you like a <laughs> heaping helping of philosophy, right? So uh, so let's let's start with that first, the idea of philosophy. So let's kind of clear up this philosophy what it is, what it means to Manly Hall, what it means to um, the ancients, really. As opposed to the more modern interpretation of that idea of philosophy, I'm sure a lot of people get the idea that philosophy is people on YouTube arguing about uh, different, you know, abstract theories. Um, you know, it has a lot of of connotations and connections to academia these days, and different departments of philosophy obviously exist in the academic world. Uh, to the nth degree, they break down and argue about. The semantic issues of things and the structure of knowledge and all these different things and how it even overlaps into neuroscience and consciousness studies and so on. But when you look at philosophy in the way that Manley Hall is using the term philosophy, it's much different. And I'll just read this really quickly because it really kind of sums it up. This is from First Principles of Philosophy, of course, which we're discussing on page 10. The word philosophy was first used by Pythagoras, or Pythagoras more correctly, the greatest of the Grecian initiates who is accredited with having created the term. The word itself means friendship for or love of wisdom, love of wisdom. A philosopher then is one who loves wisdom, whose life is devoted to the discovery and application of truth the discovery and application of truth. So discovery and application, of course, are two themes that Manley Hall talks about quite a bit, right, Chris?
1: Well, in other lectures, he even describes philosophy as a two-step process. Mm. Discovery and utility. Uh, like a lot of us stop at aha. It's like, wow, blows my mind. Yeah, I just found out that we're all connected. See of consciousness and ether and you know or some trip you have or reading some great book in science i mean it's amazing to look at the stars and you can just get wow blown away by nature and different things Uh, but then it's like okay that's that's half of it that's the first step (laughs) the second step is the utility if this is so aha this is so wonderful this is so wise if you're a lover of wisdom you love it so much you know why don't you do it Uh, The discovery is very important because a lot of self-discovery happens in the process of seeking for wisdom, but the true wisdom really happens when you apply it. And I think this is the the distinction, you know, you're talking about it's different than what a lot of people think, arguing about stuff you can't prove. Sure. Um, Or is this using the wisdom of all the great thinkers of all the ages and cultures and history and... Bringing that together in your life now and drawing from that use it as a guide and a process of living your life that's that's the other half it's like getting the food well now you have to eat it or you're not going to get the nutritional value exactly uh, and that's really where mainly hall is his center is, and he presumes that's you know where you are or the reader and make sure that that's uh, what we're talking about it's not you know up in the air speculation on metaphysical you know perhaps and maybe well, I mean, that part of it yeah right
0: oh that sure you is, have to expand your mind
1: definitely right, but we're right. looking at a, a whole system different, of different departments yeah,
0: exactly. and that's one
1: of them um, but logic and reason you know are in there as well so sure uh, but he just i think he underscored the importance that maybe this was lacking and this book was written in the 30s during the depression you know yeah talking about these uncertain times and that's when people turn to philosophy so if you want to talk about you know why philosophy and why now yeah
0: exactly let me say one more thing really quickly before we get into that though this discovery and utility that you just mentioned he, he mentioned he mentions that throughout all of his work he mentions that very very specifically the Secret Teachings, and he talks about in the introduction to that, which we talked about before, which is our very first um, podcast that we did. Uh, one of the most important things about the Secret Teachings that he points out in some of his other work, um, in the book itself as well, though he talks about really how each one of those chapters is just a variation on this this idea that I'm going to tell you here right now. It's it's, but it's the same idea extended out. It's uti- you know, basically discovering utility. So he says on 13, first of all, I'd like to read this first one. He says philosophy is the perfect science and the science of perfection. The perfect science and the science of perfection. So he's getting into the same idea. The perfect science is the understanding, and then the science of perfection is the is the is the application. And that's where he was very clear about um not just what he would call in some places wool gathering metaphysical wool gathering you use that term many times i've seen him say that um and things like that where you're just kind of going over these abstract ideas like it was very important for him to stress the the practicality of this work and how it applies uh, which is what you were just talking about a moment ago and we'll get into but Uh, This idea of this this, uh, discovering utility is really nailed down here on page 13, where he says, uh, more or less, he's talking about the purpose of philosophy. He says, it has as its first work the elevation of the human intellect to a realization of the divine plan, a realization of the divine plan. Secondly, it has as its final consummation the elevation of man to absolute union with universal wisdom. That's the, the discovery and the utility. So it would be like the relative and the absolute in essence. And so what he's saying is that you've got to have an understanding. And then you've got to realize that in this understanding, you have to become one with this universal truth. In essence, the universal wisdom, there's a union that has to happen. And that's the application. It's that you put it to use in your life. And not only do you understand it, but you live it you are it. You know, you understand that there's no separation between you and anyone else, and you you actually operate that way. there's a difference between knowing something and doing something about it. Uh, so let's get back to the idea. It's 1935 when this book was written. Uh, it's the height of the Great Depression. Uh, it's before we've entered World War II. World War II is coming. Um, what he's got here, though, is this situation where people are uh, pretty depressed and times are hard. And he's pointing out that during this time uh, is when people finally do get back to uh, to philosophy because they need it so much. He said "Adverse." and he's talking about the times then when he wrote this, adversity, uh, becoming general, sober thinking came into fashion. When our systems fail us, we learn to depend upon ourselves for security and well-being. It's been demonstrated throughout history that learning is restored in trying times ignored during prosperous interludes. And, you know, how true that is, right? I mean, we're not really striving for wisdom and knowledge um, when we're in the middle of enjoying ourselves in prosperous and, you know, materialistic times when things are going well. And that's why I think right now, you know, it's particularly a great time to study this material because a lot of people are having challenges in their lives. A lot of people are stuck at home. A lot of people are not working right now. And so it's a great time to really get back in touch with the, the, you know, the ancient wisdom and the universal truth so that you can begin to kind of put your life back in order if that, you know, if things have kind of gotten into a, a, a bad way, as it were, to sort of get yourself out of that using these principles. And that's really what this is about. You know, it's about creating a better life for yourself. It's about creating a more harmonious world. Um, You know, starting with you, and then it radiates outward, because he does talk about how, uh, on the next page, a man is what he thinks. His mental attitude is the key to his code of action, and civilization is fundamentally a code of action. So it begins with the individual, but then it spreads out into the civilization. So our thinking really does make a great difference. Um, and then, and then he points out how, according to Cicero, the purpose of civilization is to bring the human family to an enlightened and cooperative state, and that's another one of these um, uh, purposes of philosophy to bring us to an enlightened and
1: cooperative state right well, for the ancients uh, the ancient Greeks, and even going beforehand and times you know since in between um, philosophy was it was more than just you know, thinking about things, um, thinking with others about things. Um, it was even beyond your own personal life. It mm-hmm. was a philosophic uh, society or the philosopher king that a, a king in a kingdom would rule his people and subjects um, with the wisdom of a philosopher. Uh, still might be a monarch, but, you know, having that philosophic outlet or outlook uh, so philosophy, you know, for a lot of these people was uh, an underpinning of, of civilization. Oh yeah, exactly. Great As point. Well. It, was, it was daily life. And that's why, again, to get back to when you can't underscore it enough, is that this is about living. This is about how to live your life. This is a plan. It's like the ultimate self-help system is a living, breathing philosophy. Yeah. And that's uh, why
0: I, you know, obviously we always encourage the reading of these, these different books, and you know, for you to purchase these Manly Hall works because they're invaluable, you know, to have in your library. Uh, this one in particular, though, I you know, and I say this, I think a lot, but I really, you know, really mean this one with this one. Uh, first Principles of Philosophy is is a must-have, you know, for someone who is trying to improve their life um, through the ancient wisdom. It is so practical and so clear, so understandable and systematic and so well written uh that you know it's just it's just such a great tool um you know and manley hall's work oftentimes uh has is is a lot uh i don't want to say it's abstract but it's it's a lot you know he's got a lot of a lot of um great you know, mythological and symbolic ideas, and you know, beautiful stories, and you know, different different references and images and so on. This one, though, because he he set it up to be a to be a, a class more or less. It's it's set up very much like in you know in a sort of an outlined form with a very clear systematic approach to how you do this, why you do this, what's important about it, how to live the philosophic life, like you talked about, and really this in terms of approaching a lot of his other work is a is a sort of a it's a way in where where it provides this systematic framework and he even talks about this in the introduction to where it gives you an understanding of each of these abstract departments which we're going to get into on philosophy so that you can categorize and understand experiences and knowledge in a in a different way i would almost call it like a like a meta philosophy in a way, would you say that was kind of appropriate—a meta or a meta a meta program or a meta structure for this
1: for philosophy
0: in essence? Showing,
1: yes. And these branches or departments, as he called them, They're departments uh, yeah. are—they're all aspects of the same thing. Although they can be separated out um, enough to talk about them individually, but yeah. they are all part of this—you know—together system where they all work together, and you need all of them. So as we go through these, you know, we'll recognize, I think, most of them. but Yeah, um, exactly. But it's nice to have a, you know, a framework, like you're saying, to look at yourself and things that come up. You go, oh, well, maybe this is something I need to, um, you know, turn up my aesthetic branch or like a department store. Maybe I need to, you know, be in this part of the store uh, because I need these things in my life or in my world. Sure, or, yeah. You know, nutritionally, you know, you want to a painting in your hallway or something to, uh, you know, brighten the day. Exactly. And, you know, he
0: makes this interesting distinction, speaking of the different departments. Uh, So he lays it out in the book and he talks first about the first six branches. These are basically different schools of thought and philosophy branches of philosophy. Yeah. Run through them. I will run through them, but I want to make this point too, uh, that he talks about six of them. And then there's and then and then he adds a seventh. So six of these, the first six of these, are what you might call the academic or exoteric version, which he calls it in this um, in this system. And the seventh that he adds is the is is, is strictly studied in the esoteric world. So you're not going to find this in academic philosophy in the universities. All right. So the seven branches of philosophy then are uh, metaphysics. That's the first one. The second one's logic. The third ethics. The fourth is psychology. The fifth is epistemology. Uh, the sixth is aesthetics. And then the seventh, as I talked about, is called theurgy. That's a very interesting branch. Uh, and we'll spend some time on that as we go through each of these. Now, obviously, the show is, you know, only uh, you know, usually about 50 minutes or an hour, so we're not gonna be able to go deeply into all of these, but we're going to do an overview and we'll, we'll dive into each of these a little bit. But um, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to do more work on this stuff and and we'll let you know about that uh, from this particular book. And again, I highly encourage the purchase of this book because I think you'll get a lot out of it. Um, so what Manley Hall says about these different branches is he likens them to a ladder of philosophy with seven rungs, a ladder of philosophy so it's a, in a way it's an interesting ladder because when you start with metaphysics you're starting with really the highest most sort of abstract in a sense uh, ideas and yet you're working from those principles and this is where you know um this approach would be more in line with the ancient mind than today's modern approach in, in, in philosophy. Uh, you start with the sort of end in mind, you know, the invisible world, the spiritual world, and you kind of work your way back. But it's interesting because this is the, his branches are, are sort of a circle because you go from metaphysics to logic, which is pretty understandable science and reasonableness and ethics and then you go to psychology epistemology and aesthetics and then you go to theurgy and you're back to where you started because theurgy is this idea of the blessed magic basically it's an idea of divine work um theurgy is actually the is, is is the terminology they use a lot in ceremonial magic today especially of the kabbalistic kind modern kabbalistic magic is generally known as theurgy uh, so it's this sort of wonder working transformational thing where you're really invoking uh, the spirit of God within yourself and, and and you know, creating that, that within yourself and becoming this sort of more divine individual, right? Uh, but see, you can see how that leads in a circular way in a sense, but it is a ladder. It is a ladder also at the same time that you're working your way up. But again... He starts with this foundation, and the foundation is in metaphysics. Um, talk a little bit about metaphysics, and then we'll we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth with it.
1: Okay. Uh, well, to start with, I think he uh, chose metaphysics because it kind of contains a lot of the other ones in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a broad uh, brush, uh, but it's also distinct to distinguish between physics, and that's the things in the visible, physical uh, world that you can observe. Uh, metaphysics is concerned with what's behind those things. What's you know, the or original nature? Um, yes, you might see gravity. You can see the effects of gravity, but what's gravity? What's, you know, where does that go? Um, so it's the things that you can't see really touch or feel, although you can experience the effects of them greatly in your life. Uh, so I think that's the distinction with metaphysics. It's more beyond physics, um, invisible compared to the visible, but like gravity, uh, gravity, a lot of invisible forces um, are extremely powerful, especially our thoughts. So yeah. he goes through, um, he actually even breaks down metaphysics into seven, um, I guess, elements. One is the nature of being uh, what does it mean to be? Uh, what is the nature of God, uh, which is unknowable? He goes on to explain it's unknowable. So, but it's neat to ponder. Uh, what is the nature of knowledge? What is it to know? Uh, what is truth? Uh, what is the nature of energy? And then he goes to the nature of creation, which is energy directed towards something. You're going to make something. And the last one is the nature of divine and human relationships. That's our place. Uh, in the divine plan, where your personal goal and what God has in mind for you uh, really become the same thing. And again, which, like you're saying, that's the goal of this whole yep. philosophic life.
0: Not only that, it's exactly, it's the goal and then it's the foundation, which is is quite a bit different. So this is this is where we, you know, when we talk about the ancient wisdom, this is one of the things that makes it different from modern thought. Is the ancient was these these the metaphysical portion of it are the, the universal truths that you're basing your life on, and they're invisible truths, they're spiritual truths, they're universal truths, um, and you know in our sort of scientific world today they'd be known as sort of unprovable in in a, in a sense because there's no real way to investigate some of these questions. Which is why they're in the Department of Philosophy and not in Science. But the point is, is that you know you're, hes basing these ideas on you know the greatest thinkers of you know throughout the years, uh, you know thousands of years of, of of philosophers, and he's you know condensing down this information, um, you know to these principles and and sort of laying out an archetypal structure. Uh, which you can, which you can, you know, form a foundation. Why and why you're doing this, and why it's important to look at metaphysics first, is because you have to. It's it's looking at that last one, nature of divine and human relationships. In the ancient world, and in many people's minds even today, you know our our place is 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 in an order, and 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 there's there's order and meaning to our lives. This is a different sort of. Idea then, you know, modern science would have us believe, where you know there's this sort of blind force called evolution, and, and there's this kind of happenstance thing that happened, where you know life just exists and you know came out of the Big Bang, and it's sort of a happy accident that you know that we exist. The ancient mind was not about that at all. There was, there's purpose, and there's unfolding, and there's an evolution. There is evolutionary process, but it begins in these invisible realms and it ends in this material. Uh, you know, existence. And then I shouldn't say it ends, it, you know, it stops over in this material existence and then it ends up cycling back into that spiritual world again. And then it, you know, goes around and around Uh, because most of these ancient ideas, specifically Neoplatonic ideas, had an element of reincarnation to them. So it was, there's a certain chain of being going on, you know, there's, and, 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 and existence in the material world is only one, one sort of phase of that. Right. So that's why I think he's, you know, he's, he's starting with metaphysics because that's where they didn't in the ancient world. They started with metaphysics. So here's some universal principles to guide your life by. There is order, there is structure, there is purpose. You start with that premise and then you then you work through these other divisions. Um So, do you have anything else to add to the idea of metaphysics or should we move on to logic before we get too deep into this? I mean, because we we can't. Uh, Yeah, I know we can do hours on metaphysics. Yeah, so, but do you have anything else you you think? Well, just for one
1: example, two of the sub departments of metaphysics, um, the nature of knowledge and the nature of truth, um, mainly all made a, a great analogy with these two that knowledge could be. Uh, the more fragmented, all the things that you know, you know about this, you know about that, uh, or even the things you personally know. Um, but then truth with a capital T is this one reality that's behind all knowledge. And the analogy he uses is that this truth, this one reality is akin to white light. Uh, but then when white light, this white light of truth, if you will, when, then when the white light passes through a prism, uh, it's broken down into its many colors and all its many forms and that would be knowledge those would be all the different things that you might know um, so they're related to each other and um he hints uh and it goes through all this that there is a larger or something behind everything um, yeah you know that there's a a substratum or something or a common essence or the one story that um uh, determines all stories. Uh, and that's yeah, a recurring theme so and that you know comes up in in metaphysics but uh, yeah that's about all I have and I like how we just go straight into logic right after that. It's like the whole other side of the coin. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's it's <laughs> interesting. You go from this very sort of abstract realm in essence. Abstract not in the sense that it's not not applicable and that it's not true, but abstract in the sense that you know it's lofty you know, and it's, it's grand, these theories. But at the same time, they are knowable and understandable and they are even logical. Um, and that's, you know, again, that's the difference between, I think, the ancient mind and the modern mind is it was grounded in these metaphysical understandings and the idea that there actually is a universal truth. And then there's these sort of refracted rays of light coming through this prism that makes up the relative world that we live in and all the different you know, the different the 10,000 things, as they say in the Tao. you know, but they all come from that one. Uh, But so so moving moving along, though, uh, logic, then is the next department on this on this ladder of philosophy. And, you know, most people are familiar with some of the ideas of logic, of course. Uh, But basically, he he kind of points out how this is the doctrine of reasonableness. And notes how science comes from from a lot of these logical ideas and the sort of scientific method, method, and so on derived from these ideas, Aristotle was a huge influence in this particular department of philosophy, obviously. Um,
1: And Bacon, the father of modern science. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, uh, used a lot of logic in in his work.
0: Yeah and you know it's again it's interesting how this follows metaphysics one of the ideas that he notes really about logic too is that you know it's a it's a sort of process by which we we order our mental processes uh the mental process by which we live and we can establish then a code of living a code of living and you can you know we talked about that earlier at the beginning how this code plays into the idea of civilization and so on, how our individual codes and our characters play into the larger codes of, of civilization and and so on. Uh, But then these, this logic helps us develop that character helps us live consistently with the values uh, that we, that we've investigated. And we do that through a systematic way of, of, of using logic to, to, pinpoint what our beliefs and our values and our understandings are and then live those things out. But again, those are in, informed by these metaphysical truths uh, that we, you know, that we're, uh, that we're building our, our foundation on, building our foundation on that. Now, some of these areas then in logic or analogy, uh, which is a, sort of a comparative idea, um, induction, inductive reasoning, induction, and that goes from uh, particulars to universals or deduction uh which it goes from the superior or the you know or the universal to the inferior or the particular and the general to the specific is another way of looking at that so there are different ways of thinking and then um and you pointed out these how these apply to those different areas and and this is an interesting thing so do you wanna talk a little bit about this, about the PRS thing and how this Oh
1: yeah, how um, letters, philosophy, <laughs> religion and science, uh, PRS, Philosophical Research Society, Mr. Hall's um, foundation and uh, center that he started in the 30s, about around this time actually, 35. Uh, but he broke down these three branches or instruments of logic, uh, I think a tribute to Aristotle, like you were saying, uh, an analogy, this comparison, well, this is a certain way, and this other thing is kind of like that thing. So then you can reason that this thing is a certain way. I think he even had some very specific uh, examples um, using that. Uh, but that induction—if you see something particular—and then you can make a broader assumption out of it—that's mm. closer to the scientific way of thinking. And then deduction is when you you know, see the big, big picture, and then you apply that to, and therefore with the individual or very specific or um, particular <laughs> application that you can deduce from that, from the larger to the smaller. Uh, all, all work, they're all great ways of thinking. Well, And, and that's they're all practical.
0: To, that's analogous to religion. So analogy is philosophy, induction would be science, and then the deduction would be religion, uh, which is interesting. So he breaks those those ideas down into that, doesn't he?
1: Yeah. Instruments um, of logic. I like how he put
0: that. You know, no, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so so that kind of, you know, in a quick nutshell, is some of the ideas of logic. Uh, obviously, we could go into greater detail with that. Um, but, you know, we, we're, we, we don't have a huge amount of time. So we're going to move on to to ethics. So this is our third rung in the ladder of, of philosophy. So it's metaphysics, logic, ethics. Ethics is, you know, people have a pretty good understanding of what that is. I don't know so much that we study it anymore, but I think that was more of an area of study in the the past. I think there's a lot of debate anymore about whether or not ethics or morality, you know, can even really be kind of agreed upon uh, since, you know, they've turned most academic thought into this idea of subjective reality and relativism and so on which says basically like whatever anyone thinks is 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 okay is okay and i don't have any right to impose myself on anyone else which there is some logic and some truth to that to be sure Uh, but again the ancient mind wouldn't wouldn't be thinking that the ancient mind would start from a metaphysical point of view and they would say well there's universal truths and these are obvious and these are to be Followed, and this is how we do it. Uh, they didn't necessarily agree on the specifics always about how those would unfold, but there was definitely agreement about, you know, the purpose of life and the God about God and the gods and the energies and powers and the different, you know, structure of the universe and so on to a to a pretty great degree, at least in the Near East. Um, but ethics uh, has become a kind of area that. It really isn't, isn't delved into as much as it used to be, uh, but it's an important area. Of course, it deals with codes of conduct, morality, character, um, and our own actions, You know how that affects other people and so on. A lot of the uh, teachings of Jesus, especially in the, um, uh, the Beatitudes and in Sermon on the Mount, uh, deal with ethics. Um, Christianity is a very ethics-oriented uh, religion. In general, so is Judaism. Uh, ethics and law make a great, you know, make up a great deal. Of it as, as actually, as is Islam, and they all come from you know the same branch of Judaism. Uh, that or the trunk, really, we should call it. They are branches on the trunk of Judaism, in a sense. So you know, so we can see why why that would be. But uh, ethics uh, it was was a very important uh, it was a very important area in the ancient world, certainly in Greece, certainly in Rome, certainly in the ancient Near East. Um, and so it's one to, it's one to really look at. It's one of these things sometimes that we don't really think about until we're put into situations where we feel like there is some kind of an issue. Uh, but this is where Manly Hall, you know, he really stresses the idea that you have to think this stuff out and you've got to use logic to sort of come up with a, a code of conduct for yourself that you're that you're comfortable with, and then, you know, follow that and have integrity. I mean, you have this kind of what, you know, what often is called today situational ethics, where it's like, that really means, you know, whatever's best for me, and whatever's easiest, that's what I do in that situation. And a philosopher would not live life like that. A philosopher has uh, ideas that are grounded in, in, in you know, ethical and moral responsibility, has made decisions and tries to live with integrity according to those, those ideas, right? That's a or different even, thing. A,
1: even a warring tribe or nation, uh, the knight um, in medieval times or, uh, say, the samurai, mm-hmm. um, even though they're out there doing battle and ostensibly to you know, harm another person, uh, they do that ethically, uh, and we hear now about you know, ethically raised uh, food sources, uh, or you buy a shoe, and then the company donates a shoe to somebody who doesn't have one, uh, and these, you know, these can be very attractive now. Uh, another thing the ancients would do, philosophers, is they would allow the dialogue, even if they disagreed with the point of view or the point the other person was trying to make, they honored the person's right to speak that. And that's an ethical consideration. And I guess a final thought is the uh, science a lot of times is devoid of ethics. Uh, or it's, it's yeah. vague uh, where it comes in. It's, uh, science would ask, you know, can we do this? And ethics might ask, well, should we do this? Like,
0: exactly. can we yeah. build an
1: atomic bomb? It's like, well, should we? <laughs> um, true, true. You know, And it, it tempers things because science could be so true. heartless. Sometimes, yeah uh, and it tends like not only can we do this or how can we do this it's like, why and should we and in what way so mm-hmm. it's it's a you know it's a balancing force that 's why these are all connected, and we need all of them, and I like that we 're going through them in order, uh, yeah because each one brings something else, another quality to whatever it is you're thinking about or trying to do or your personal mm-hmm. relationships or where anywhere in your life where philosophy applies, which is essentially everywhere.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, you're right. Ethics deals with, should we do this? What are the results of, of these actions? How will, will, how will those play out and affect others? Um, And so on. And that's why, you know, science wouldn't even try to ask those questions. It's not equipped to deal with them. And this is why, you know, this is why, science can be such a dangerous force at times and and when it's not tempered with all these different areas of learning um it can go off the rails you know when you get all this crazy genetic engineering and chemical weapons and you know trying to crossbreed different different animals and you know human life and all these crazy things that you know you have to ask these questions like, should we be messing around with certain things? Should we be messing around with DNA? Should we be, you know, modifying nature? Those are questions that have to be asked, you know, and, and looking at the, 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 the consequences of those actions and thinking about all the people involved and all the animals and all the, you know, and nature in general, the earth itself as well. Uh, those are questions that that have to be looked at, and that's the Department of Ethics that would answer those questions. All right, so we're moving on to psychology now, the science of the soul, mental phenomena. Uh, this is our one, two, three, four, one, fourth uh, rung on the ladder. Uh, you know, pretty everyone's pretty pretty aware of psychology today. Uh, you know, we see so much psychological stuff in the news and on social media, and you know, a lot of people think like psychology is self care and. Um, a lot of these sort of pithy little, sort of, you know, hashtag oriented phrases that people come up with that they think that's psychology. But psychology is much deeper than that. It's, as, as I said, the science of the soul. You know, psychology, psyche is the soul. That's um, the study of the soul, in essence. Well, it used to be. It used to be. Yeah, here, the, whereas, where Hall mind. makes
1: the distinction, yeah, the ancient was more soul-based, where it was the art of psychology and your mm-hmm. connection between, you know, spirit and your body, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the modern, it shifted more towards the mind-based, uh, you know, aspects of your mind and thoughts, yeah. and we'll just yeah, think yeah. better thoughts, and you'll have a, you know, change your mind, change the world. The mind is part of the soul, Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I think this soul-based and in some branches like archetypal psychology or Jungian um as it were that have uh m- incorporate more of the soul into the formula for psychology than some other ones. Well, Jung's I would do. I would
0: say it's 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 based primarily on that and that's why it's it's not a very popular psychology yeah. today except amongst certain individuals. Um, But I'd go even further than this, you know, and this was Manly Hall's day when he was writing this modern, you know, the modern idea is mind based. It's not even mind based anymore. It's now brain based. It's cognitive. It's like this cognitive and behavioralist model now that's probably most most prevalent in psychiatry and and psychology today, uh, which is why there's so much pharmaceutical involvement with psychology and psychiatry today. I mean, psychologists can't can't prescribe, but they certainly will send you to a doctor to get to get the prescriptions and so on. And you know, and that's the difference. It's like this: the you know, the ancients and Jung himself, uh, you know, following these ancient traditions. Also, you know, they 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 start from a different premise, and that premise is there's a soul, and that premise is that that soul is connected to to spirit, and that spirit is connected to the infinite um, you know, and there may be different levels to that and there may be disagreements about it, but in the end, uh, one way or another, there's a, there's, there's a soul, which is, a, you know, a more sort of spiritually oriented idea and that is connected to something beyond that in some way or another. Um, you know, there's various ways of looking at that, but that, that's, that's the difference between the, in, in a lot of ways between the, the, the modern and the, and the ancient version of that. Uh, but you're right. I mean, that also that mind-based thing, but even today we go, we've gone so much further to brain-based, you know, it's all these neuro, these ideas of neuroscience and all these different things, which are, there's some va- definitely valuable contributions to all that. I'm not knocking those things when I say that, but without the idea of soul and without the idea of some sort of ethics, logic and metaphysics behind that, we go off in really dangerous directions thinking that the, you know, that the, that the body and the brain are just machines um, that just need tuning up with the right, with the right drug or the right, um, you know, behavioral treatments or something like that. Uh, I think it leaves out a great deal of what makes us human. And the soul is the factor in that, that really, um, makes a great difference, you know, recognizing that there is a soul and giving it some kind of weight in your life. And that's what Jung was really saying is there's this inner life that's going on that involves a soul, and, of course, this outer life that's very important as well, but you have to put the two in accord with each other. And that's, again, that's the same thing Manley Hall is talking about. You know, it's the inner and the outer, the upper and the lower, the as above, so below. Same ideas, right? Same ideas. Uh, so that's, that's a more ancient approach to psychology. So move on now to uh, epistemology as we're kind of getting into this thing. Uh, this one deals more with the nature of knowledge. You want to talk about this one?
1: Okay. Uh, ontology is, I think, going back to where we're talking about the nature of being. Uh, that's what is. And epistemology is how do we know uh, things? How is it that we know this is a, a thing? So ontology is more um, you know, what is, and this is how is it that we know that? So it's the nature of knowledge, how we know things, and also how we learn things, um, and what value is it? It's not just the content or the component of knowledge. It's, you know, what is its value? And there's, uh, even the, uh, I guess it's a debate. I'm not sure. Uh, but a distinction sometimes made in, with education and it does come from the word meaning to draw out you do co, um, is, is the role or the goal to draw out what's already in there. Or is there a blank slate that I'm going to educate this knowledge on top of? And that's something that epistemology covers as well. You know, how is it that we learn things? Do we come knowing things and then we remember? Or do we come knowing nothing and then we have to, you know, whether it's nurture or nature, we have to have some, um, you know, imprint. uh, And you could say both are true. But... Again, how we learn things, how we know things, sometimes it comes from a really mysterious place. Yeah. Um, but if you're working as a philosopher, uh, that's okay. That's not uncomfortable. Sure. Well, and the, the ancient we on this we sense. know the
0: ancient view of this is that you know there is no such thing as a blank slate because you're coming in with uh, with certain um, invisible potentials. Let's call them. Um, in most ancient systems, there was some thought of, uh, either reincarnation or some sort of, you know, previous life experience or something coming from the gods along with you trailing clouds of glory, as Carlisle said, um, there's some sort of ideal that's, that's within you, you know, this blank slate idea is a pretty modern idea. Um, it doesn't exist in most of the ancient ideas and ancient cultures, um, Plato's idea that was that learning is remembering You talked a little bit about that, the differences between these ages. It's not to say that that's, you know, you know, has to be taken as an absolute truth, but the, the these ancient ideas were that, uh, you know, and if you, you know, if you, if you're, if you're interested in, in learning those, those the ancient wisdom, the ancient wisdom believed that there was, was a sort of archetypal template already existing within one, and then things were activated and remembered here. Um, you know plato 's ideas uh, uh from from Socrates was i think that uh, before we come into existence there's sort of um a, a place where you know the prior life you know leaves off this the soul is ready to sort of reincarnate this and this is again i think a more um, Pythagorean idea as well um but there's a sort of time where there's a there's a there's a forgetfulness that occurs and you call it the rivers of lathe I believe. Uh, where you drink from the rivers, river of lathe and you forget everything and then you come into existence. But there is, even though you consciously forget it, there's imprints of that stuff, which would explain different particulars, people's propensities or geniuses that they come in with. And we talked a little bit about that on the show on reincarnation. If you want to check that out back, you can check that, that show out. It was a few podcasts ago that we did on reincarnation. Uh, but some of those ideas are, are, are involved with that. And this is in that, that area of epistemology, the nature of knowledge, how we know things, how we learn things. Do we draw them out or do we put stuff in? You know, and I think, the, again, the modern view is the kid's a blank slate and we just need to shove a bunch of information into the kid's head and then they'll know and they'll become a valuable member of society. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, you kind of think to yourself, well, what's the difference? Whether or not I believe one or the other thing. In, in my mind, it, it you know, and this is just my opinion, but it, it's a pretty great difference to think that there's something already there that's being awakened and um, enlivened, and you know, this is just a one-shot mm-hmm. deal and a blank slate, and I can write anything I want on it. And Jung felt very strongly that we came in with much, much uh, pro, I don't want to call it programming, but propensities, I guess, and you know, he'd call it some archetypes or you know, activated. Uh, you know sort of complexes or archetypes or whatever um, you know that already exists within us and that the child's very you know children are very different even as babies and you you know I think anyone who's grown up around you know around children and watched children grow and watched babies can see that these individuals are are not a blank slate most of the time you can see that Mm -hmm. there's propensities there which I mean would you agree with that
1: Oh, definitely. I, I see it every day. Right. I'm around it, and it's like, where does it where come stuff <laughs> come from? Like <laughs> nobody in this house would have done that. Right? that That's you know, what, what I'm saying. Like, so, um, and the great thing about it, I'm glad you brought that up, because the great thing about it is it, it it holds out that there's an individual that every single one of us has an individual style, or a gift, or soul's journey, or destiny that is our own. There's universal commonalities, but that each one of us has our own way of looking at things and going through life. And, uh, and I like that, this, this one size fits all doesn't mm. always work. Uh, and it's not really a great approach. You have to at least take into account uh, the end of those because people might have different ways of looking at things. Um, and so they may come to the correct answer through a different path. So that's why I think in an educational system to put emphasis on the individual, at least consider uh, that individuals' needs are different. You might help somebody find something in mm, a different way.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? They, they might find a different path, and they may still get to the right answer that you're trying to, you know, get across or the point. Uh, but we may have different ways of of moving through uh, our learning or relearning or remembering if it is. Uh, and experience so i'm glad you brought that out yeah that's a yeah it's a really good point a little off topic but it's, it's part, part of, of idea how, right? How so, all right so moving
0: on to aesthetics Uh, And we'll go through these last two pretty quickly. But again, like I I said, I I urge you to to check out this book, First Principles of Philosophy, and read deeper into each of these chapters. And like I said, we're probably going to go much deeper into each one of these. But for now, this is an overview. So the next one is aesthetics. So this is the sixth rung on our ladder, our philosophical ladder. We started with metaphysics, went to logic, ethics, psychology. We just did epistemology. Uh, now we're into aesthetics aesthetics and this deals with the arts um uh, the idea of beauty um plato's idea of the one the beautiful and the good and this also deals with how uh beauty and beautiful things affect us their effects on us uh, and the, the the harmony and so on um and of course, this is this is the realm of the arts, uh, which which Manly Hall talked about as being a universal medicine. Universal medicine, um, you know. So this is an area that I would argue today. Again, much like ethics, many of these areas are are kind of. Uh, I mean, we say we're pretty strong with logic with our scientific thinking. Metaphysics is pretty. It's probably pretty weak in most of us. Ethics is not awful. I mean, they do come to talk about things in psychology of course we talk about but in a different way but this aesthetics is really one of these things where i would argue we're not very aesthetic anymore um we certainly have a lot of entertainment and a lot of media and a lot of images around us at all times i don't know how aesthetically uh appealing or important they are you know, and I suppose that's subjective mm-hmm. thing, you know, what people find beautiful. But I don't know that there's a lot of thought put into uh, I- into these ideas. It's I think are our, our, most of our medias and most of our arts these days, you know, including, you know, film and television shows and music and, you know, even um, our, you know, visual arts. You know, unfortunately, they're pretty commercial you know even even the the even in in the fine art market if you look at what's being produced today by most artists there are, there are some beautiful artists don't get me wrong some very talented artists out there but what sells often commercially especially for high dollar amounts at you know at, the, at auction at christies and so on is often just this you know i, I don't i'm not trying to judge it but it's it's very poppy postmodern artwork um, that's pretty simple and oftentimes very sort of street oriented or sort of variations on Warhol or variations on Lichtenstein or variations on, you know, pop artists from the fifties and sixties and so on um, that, you know, it's just, there's not a lot to it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
1: Mm. Well, you know, beautiful art should compel or impel something within you release something that I want to do better and be better and do good works in this world I know there's the practice of feng shui where uh, certain arrangements of different parts um, like maybe where you put uh, the doorway or the window or the uh, parts in your room where you arrange the furniture or maybe if you have the the option of deciding where the doorway is going to be, uh, but that it's in harmony with nature that we're working together on this, and of course the ancients you know we 're talking a lot about the ancient Greeks uh, certainly had the the golden mean, the golden ratio, the architecture, the buildings, even they didn 't really overtly see it. they were built with all these you know the Fibonacci sequence, uh, all these harmonious and beautiful uh, geometric uh, alignments and arrangements. Uh, Didn't really have to, you could still build a temple and columns and pillars without using the golden mean, Um, but it was put in there because it was felt that it meant something, that if this sequence, this ratio appears again and again in nature, uh, well, why not put that into our buildings? and when we go in maybe we're you know more in harmony with nature than we are just putting some structure well, that,
0: that idea of was too i think
1: just like you're talking about
0: you know we're using those different different you know ideals and measurements and so on that they recognized in nature um you know they put you in harmony with nature they put you in harmony with harmony and balance in other words just the viewing of those those artworks and so on and those beautiful buildings and the gardens and specific proportions and beautiful you know natural settings and so on was healing to the soul and that's you know that's what manly hall says when he talks about it as, as a universal medicine and 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 again i'm not meaning to knock you know the work that people are doing today when i talk about that in music and art and film and so on it's just that it's not informed by any sort of aesthetic considerations. So the ideas of most work, not all work, again, I, I'm, I'm sort of generalizing popular materials. A lot of the 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 work that we're looking at is very jarring. Um, it's very discordant. It's very unharmonious. In fact, most of the If you look at it and if you think about film and media and television, I'm going to argue that most all of it is because it's designed to elicit the most base responses within us, you know, anger, jealousy, greed, revenge, um, you know, covetousness and so on, you know, and I'm not trying to moralize about it, but it's certainly not, um, it's certainly not uh, inspiring us to be our best, most of it, right? Um, and so, you know, in some ways, you know, art is supposed to hold up, obviously, discordant things as well. So we can recognize that and certainly, you know, Greece had, had its tragedies and its plays and so on. And there was, you know, obviously, even the mythology of the gods it's, no one was perfect. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the idea of, you know, harmony and proportion and beauty uh, as, as being a sort of code by which one would put this artwork together. Um, and having purpose and thinking those things through. And that's quite a bit different than just um, trying to create work that you think is going to be popular. Uh, again, and that, again, that is not to, to knock artists in. I'm sure There are many artists, I'm sure, who are, very, you know, doing very heartfelt, very important work. Uh, mm-hmm. But. It's I, it, even then, it's still missing a lot of these aesthetic considerations, and that's where I think this it, this is kind of one of the areas where you can look at and look at the some of these ideas of proportion and harmony, and like you talked about these different, you know, the Fibonacci sequences and different um, ratios, golden mean, and all these different ideas uh, to help inform uh, your aesthetic sensibility and your 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 your, your creation of your work you know, in poetry and music in, in, in your lyrical qualities, you know, in all of it. And, and I think that's one of the things that the Greeks thought that very important. I think, I think it's very important uh, even today, you know, and, and so uh, try, you know, and trying to go back and read the classics and read, you know, classic literature. And so it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, watch soap operas and, you know, and, you know, watch videos of, of funny cats But it means also, but it means to sort of supplement that with great artworks and great um, literature and great poetry that that stood the test of time, great music, and understanding how that fits into the historical context and how it fits these aesthetic qualities and so on. There can be great lessons, I think, in, in listening
1: and participating in those. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say? Well, there is, and and this aesthetic uh, quality is something we can really do ourselves. Uh, have a large, even if we have very limited reach on what we can do with our living space. You could put things, arrange your desk a little more symmetrically, or you could. There's you know small things that can help balance you, help restore order, especially in a world that's full of doubt and yeah. you know, fears and inconsistencies. Uh, If we can control our environment or, you know, our computer desktop or whatever we're doing and make it just a little, a little bit better. Or maybe then put a plant there by the window. Sometimes it's one small thing can open up a space um, and, and help, you know, connect you. It's, it's not, again, it's like a object of veneration. It's not just the object itself that's beautiful. It's your connection to that and what that brings up. Um Absolutely. that's what's you know, really the value behind it. Then you become beauty and you become beautiful and you think beautiful thoughts. That's a great way to put because it because you're surrounded. You know, and by that beauty.
0: spills over into the way that you treat others. It spills over in the way that you feel about yourself, the way that you feel about the earth and your you know, your place in it and you know, the stars and you know, the universe and God and whatever else, right? And and, and kind of like the whole harmonious uh chain of being, as we'd call it. Uh, So so that's this is a very important area and one that I think is highly overlooked today. It's something uh, that this that this book gives you a little overview of. And I I have a feeling that a lot of people, if they did read this section in the book, would want to do more investigation into this area of aesthetics, because it's a very interesting and powerful area. And it's it's one that moves, moves the soul, moves the heart. Um, You know, and most of us are affected by art in one way or another. And it's a way to understand it and go into it philosophically that gives it a deeper layer of meaning. It doesn't strip it down and, you know, try to dissect it and kill it. It, you know, it it recognizes that, you know, some of this stuff is mysterious, like why a painting moves us or why a particular piece of music moves us, why it doesn't or why one doesn't. Uh, There's a mysterious quality to that as well. But, you know, it's interesting to kind of look at these aesthetic ideas and see how they work. All right, so we have to move on. Unfortunately, we're going to talk, and not unfortunately, but we do need to move on, um, It's about theurgy. I mean, it's not unfortunate that we're talking about theurgy, but we, we only have so much time, is my point. Uh, and again, theurgy, as I talked about at the beginning, is this idea of this divine work, of this blessed magic of the uh, Egyptian her- Uh This is really... Um, a good, a great area, and again, one one that would require multiple shows to deal with, but it is involved with the idea of ceremonial magic, alchemy, Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry falls into this category. The whole idea of ritual and ceremony, a more sort of formalized experiences uh, of 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 the drama of mystery and drama. Um, Definitely, as I said before, Ceremonial Magic, and in regard to this, if anyone is interested in, in a very uh, great book on ceremonial magic modern, uh, but then draws from this, the same traditions that Manly Hall talks about, in this, this Egyptian Hermetic tradition, and uh, particularly Neoplatonic traditions, and so on, uh, is Israel Regardie's book, uh, The Tree of Life, a classic in the field, of ceremonial magic, Kabbalistic ceremonial magic, and one that I would highly recommend. So if you're interested in this idea of theurgy and you want to go beyond this, definitely check that book out. Um, but again, you know, this, this you know, Kabbalah falls into this category, of mysticism, or the sort of experiential almost uh, you'd almost call this the yoga of the West, and that is what Dion Fortune called Kabbalah in her great book, uh, Sacred Magic of the Kabbalah. Um, you know that this whole tradition is is sort of the yoga, the yoga of the West. Excuse me, her book is called mm. her book is the mystical Kabbalah. I'm sorry. Well, it's, it's the, the doing of, of it. The
1: magic called mystical Kabbalah. Well. Okay. You know this this the theology acts, is you know. the practice. It's the act of living philosophically. All these the six previous ones, uh you know, are brought together. And yes, you have the painting in your room, and you have um, you know, logical thoughts and everything and this yeah, is now when you you become like the that. alchemist yeah. yeah you know you are the magician mm-hmm. you are the the healer uh, you are the guru uh, this is where it all happens, and you he all points out that the other six, the first six were more or less you know knowledge gained out there in the arts and sciences, and that this seventh one. That's what's learned within. That's what really can't be taught. But by applying all these six into your soul, <laughs> using them in your daily life, um, it's then what do you gain from that. That's a great that? point. Yeah. You know, what do you learn from that? What comes out this internal knowledge? Uh, but this internal knowledge just doesn't come out from you know nowhere. I mean, it's it's in the practice of being a philosopher, using these other branches. Um, that you know this is the consummation this is where they all come together in you well and this you are the philosopher
0: is, absolutely living and living you know and then again the like yes. you said it's coming full circle you know so we started with metaphysics as sort of first rung on this ladder and then we end again almost like in the metaphysical world but we're actually experiencing it we're becoming one with it you know and again this is the the, the whole the six steps of the discovery and then the seventh step is, is really the utility. Although discovery and utility are happening throughout the whole process, you know, this is sort of the apotheosis, this, the, this theurgy portion right. of it where you're, you're becoming one with that knowledge. You're, you're, you're embodying it, or in, as Manley Hall put in, you often explain as as he said, ensouling it, right? Ensouling it.
1: Well, you've learned the notes and now you're playing the music. You've learned the steps. That's it. And yeah. now you're doing the dance. You know, it's it's a very expressive. It's the very art of your right, life.
0: That's a great way to put it. Yeah, excellent.
1: This philosophic life. That's it. And so that's, you know, unfortunately, the we
0: are uh, getting towards the end of this thing. But again, I wanna I wanna recommend this book, and I'll give the title one more time, one final time. First Principles of Philosophy, uh, by Manly P. Hall. And so you can see how all these different departments of philosophy work together, how you can apply them to your life, and uh, most importantly, how you can you know transform your life with the the knowledge that they give you um, and that's really what this is all about and that that's really what he wants to stress and so that it's philosophy then is not some abstract concept, but it's a way of life it's a philosophic life isn't it um,
1: mm-hmm. It is, and I like what he says about it. I'll just loop around to the beginning. Philosophy overcomes doubt. It rescues men from despair. It perceives justice beneath injustice and gives vision and a certain hope. So it's really the light of the world. It may be our way out <laughs> of this mess. With And he makes no bones about it. He says it right there, that this is the importance of it uh, can transcend really all the difficulties of life. Absolutely. absolutely. So another
0: reason to study this ancient wisdom and apply it to your own life uh, and look for these truths that have, you know, that have sustained us and, and, uh, you know, transformed us throughout the ages. Um, And this is really what Manly Hall does throughout all of his work is he's finding and condensing down these, these, these ancient ideas into practical ways that we can apply them to our own lives today. So, Again, uh, highly, uh, highly recommend this book. Thank you again for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, we're here each Sunday with, uh, with our show, with our Cosmic Eye Show. And then also on Friday, we have another version of the Cosmic Eye Show, the Emmett uh, Fox Friday show that we do, where we look at his work on finding your inner power. So again, please, uh, if you can, uh, we, we thank the people that are uh, supporting us financially. We really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Um, if you can uh, and you're not, Please support us at anchor.fm slash Cosmic Eye and help us to, to bring this, this work to others. Keep moving it forward. Um, and check out our, our books. Uh, Chris is the Spirit in the Sky. And I am, if you can worry, you can meditate. Again, both available on Amazon. Uh, thank you again, Chris. And have a great week. Goodbye. And God bless.